0: Welcome to another episode of ESPN Fall on the Real World Podcast. I am your host, Kane Pittman. And we've got a big one today. Two guests on the show. We're going to start with Josh Green from Dallas. He's been really breaking into the rotation here over the last couple of weeks. Uh, We pre-recorded this one. This was about uh, a week ago now. So we're going to talk about his spot in the rotation, playing under Jason Kidd, playing next to Luka Doncic. Of course, uh, some Boomer stuff in there as well. I know Josh Green... A lot of interest around him from Australian basketball fans. He is one of the rising stars in the next wave of what we think is going to be a really, really successful era for the Boomers program, the national team program. So uh, it was a great chat with Josh. And then we have Tim Bontemps, our ESPN man, covering all things Eastern Conference. And I've been planning this chat with Tim for a while. He's a great fella. And I just wanted to wait until we got past the trade deadline. So of course... James Harden and Ben Simmons have spoke to the media. We're going to break uh, those conversations down, look ahead to the bloodbath that is the Eastern Conference in the standings. It is just looking absolutely ridiculous right now when you look at some of the potential matchups in the East. We'll also talk MVP. Tim has his MVP straw poll at ESPN.com.au. So we're going to get into that and discuss who may win the NBA MVP, which is a crazy race as well. Uh, Of course, before we bring in Josh, I should say, anything basketball-related, whether it's NBL, NBA, WNBA, WNBL, all your basketball news internationally, go to ESPN.com.au and they have you covered there. And also, don't forget to check out The Jump. Friday nights, 7 p.m., 6.30 p.m. this week. We've got an hour show here, a special if you're listening to this before, uh, Friday the 18th of February 6 30 p.m. through to 7 30 and uh, make sure you check out the jump Andrew Gaze, Leonard Copeland, Nat Edwards. I poked my head in there as well. Uh, it's a lot of fun and we are about two months into the jump. So if you haven't checked it out yet, make sure you jump on that. But for now, let's bring in Josh Green. Join us now from the Dallas Mavericks and also of course the bronze medal winning boomer as well. Josh Green from Dallas. How are you doing,
1: man? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Uh, before we get started here, I want to start with one that I'm just curious about. We're recording this on Tuesday, uh, Feb 8 here in Australia on the weekend. I'm doing some work at home. I'm flicking through a league pass. I see Mavericks and the Sixers are in the first quarter. I think this is the perfect time to jump into a game. And then uh, there is a delay, a lengthy yeah. delay. So I'm waiting for them to fix the basket. For those not watching, the rim was uh, crooked they had to swap the basket it took a long time but what are you guys doing during that delay what are you talking about i know you guys are all about rhythm uh that's not ideal
1: a few minutes into the game no it, it's not ideal at all and the game was at nine o'clock at night as well so yes. we're already you know it's a, it's a tiring game it's a late game um and it, yeah it took about like 35 minutes or so so we were getting it's it's a it was annoying for sure because they messed they they did it and then they messed it up so then they had to bring out a whole new hoop um and when they finally got the basket out it took another 15 minutes i took my shoes off i was just chilling on the on the on the side just then i went on the bike a little warmed up i was able to get a good exercise in so yeah
0: so I was wondering a lot of you guys are, are absolute creatures of habit are you able to relax or is that something that's anxiety inducing for you what were you doing who were you talking to the guy i'm sure i'm sure there were some guys having fun some guys that were probably stressed out about the situation
1: yeah i mean i think i mean i'd never been in that situation before (laughs) i didn't really know what to expect um i talked to matisse a little bit uh half like a half court area you know the two teams talking to each other and uh it was really it was really weird you know we're in the middle of a game and we're you know, having conversations with the other team. So, um, yeah, I, I doubt I'll ever see that again.
0: All right, let's get to this season for you. So, late December is when you really started to get the opportunities. You played three straight games late December where you played 20-plus minutes, uh, and at that stage, the Mavericks are going through what a lot of teams have this year. There was no Luca. Uh, Reggie Bullock was out, Tim Hardaway. There was a bunch of guys that were out of the lineup, and you got your opportunity. So, Is that one of those things where you understand the situation around you, and you are about to play? Does one of the coaches come and say, "Okay, now is going to be your time"? How do you approach that opportunity, understanding, I guess, the weirdness of the situation with COVID and everything else?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I mean, for anyone, you know, that it was going to come, you know, sometime through the season, you know, with COVID. Uh, around and just the, the outbreak that happened in the NBA. Um, I was very mad because I was one of the first players to actually get COVID. So I was out, but then, you know, I kind of looked at it in the perspective that, you know, this is one of these viruses that, you know, unfortunately everybody's going to, uh, you know, collect and get. So my goal was just making sure that I stayed ready um, from no matter when my time was. Um, and, you know, even when I was in COVID, I was like, man, when I come back, like, I'm going to make sure I'm ready because, I started seeing our team was going down and down with COVID. So, yeah, I was making sure everything I I could do to make sure I was ready to go.
0: When you say staying ready, and that's obviously what everyone says, particularly guys that uh, at certain times might be coming off the bench, what does that look like for you? Because when you are playing just those spot minutes towards the end of games, uh, you're on the road, you're in the NBA schedule. Are are you getting scrimmages in at practice? Are you working out after the games? How were you able to physically stay in shape despite not not playing as many minutes as you probably would have
1: liked? Yeah, I mean, I think a mix of everything. You know, we have a bunch of, you know, great players on our team who, you know, don't get to play as many minutes as they, they, they would hope. And, I mean, I think it's cool that we're able to all come together. You know, when I wasn't playing, we were able to play pickup. Uh, we have great, you know, play development guys. And, you know, just making sure even off the court stuff that I'm ready to go watching film, uh, making sure my body is ready to go, lifting as much as I can. Um, You know, I think staying ready is really a mentality. And I know a lot of people do say it, but a lot of people, you know, don't want to put the work in behind the scenes to make sure they actually are ready.
0: Has it been challenging for you mentally? Obviously, last year in your rookie season, um, again, you weren't weren't playing major minutes throughout that season. And I guess for someone like you, you came from college, you started all 30 games, you played 30 minutes a night previously. A lot of the times you would have been the best player on the team. So what has that adjustment been for you? Like just mentally understanding that uh, it might not be there every night.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing was knowing, you know, I mean, I play, I play for the Dallas Mavericks, you know, it's not like a, I'm, on a, I'm, on a, I'm on a playoff team, you know, I'm a team with a goal to, to make it as far uh, as we can in the playoffs and everything. So, um, obviously, I want to be playing, but at the same time, I, I want to be a part of a winning franchise, and if that means waiting. Uh, for my time and making sure that I have a, a role in the team eventually, you know, that's my goal. And, you know, ultimately my goal is to be able to win a championship with these guys. You know, I love Dallas, love being here. So, you know, just taking it one step at a time. But yeah, I mean, obviously it, it was definitely frustrating at some points, but, you know, there's always a positive in, in, in everything.
0: New coach in year two. And I've I've listened to you and I've read uh, some of the stuff you've said about having Jay Kidd there. And obviously he had a couple of stops previously, but you've uh, referred to the fact that he is one of the the greatest point guards to play the game. So for you, as someone that that might not always be a primary facilitator, be that secondary guy uh, and love to play defense. I know that from my time in Milwaukee. Anyone that wants to play defense, he's all over them. He loves those guys. So what's Jay Kidd been like?
1: Yeah, no, he's been great. You know, I think uh, he's really let the players have a voice. Um, you know, if we feel like something's working out well in a game, we're able to go go to that, and you know, I, I think it's been dope. You know, there's even been parts in games when you know I've made a particular read, and he's like comes up to me, pulls me aside, and he's like, "What about this read? You know, this was open, so next time you do this, I want you to try to do this move, then this, and you're just thinking, you have like, damn, how did he see that? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's dope. You know, he has he has he he has. He wishes the best for everybody, and I think that's so cool to see. And, you know, everybody supports him just like he supports us. So, you know, just staying as, as one and just continuing to grow as a team is being great.
0: I think one of the uh, most interesting things for people outside the Dallas and just looking at you guys was kid pairing with Luca, and Because of that IQ and because of the smarts and, and two guys that, that like to handle the ball a lot, What's it like for you playing with Luca? He is, uh, I think, I was looking at the numbers this morning, outside of Joel Embiid, I think his usage is the the highest of guys that qualify. So he has the ball in his hands just about as much as any player in the league. So how does that change what you can do or what you're trying to do or what's that that like playing with him offensively?
1: Uh, I think just making sure I'm in the right spots. You know, Luca's you know, one of the best players in the world at the age of 22, which is hard (laughs) to believe. But um, I think just making sure that I'm able to watch film, and the people who are out on the court before me and just seeing, you know, what they're doing, where I need to be spacing-wise, being able to cut off Luca. Because uh, at the end of the day, like all these teams are going to be showing so much attention to him that it's important that I'm getting in the, in the right spots and, and just trying to help out as much as I can.
0: Uh, talking to guys that play with guys like Jokic, Giannis, and when they say with one of the first things they have to do when they're getting used to playing with Luca is just understanding the passes that he can actually make, and and like you say, being ready, but yeah. being ready to catch the ball, because they're just like, I don't think this is physically possible that this guy should be able to get this ball to me next thing it's coming at your face. Is it a similar thing with Luca?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, the, definitely when I first started playing hand, even just practice, <laughs> uh, I'll, be, I'll be staring, just in the corner, you know, not thinking the ball's gonna come to me, and then all of a sudden nearly wipes out, you know, wipes me out, so uh, no, I finally, Started. I mean, towards the end of last year, I started getting... You know, I kind of know when he's about to pass it. And, uh, yeah, I can kind of start reading it now. But he, he is a very good passer. So, yeah, just making sure that, like I said, I'm in the right spots because he doesn't even really have to see. He, he kind of knows where we're all going to be at.
0: Uh, so after yesterday's game, you've actually played more minutes with Luca this year than you did last year, or only sort of just over the halfway mark here, which which probably... Um, you're laughing. I mean, that's that's just. I guess it uh, goes to show how much minutes you have played. So when you talk about that offensive development for you, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's just you know taking it one day at a time. You know, I think going forward, it's just it's about getting in a rhythm. You know, and I think with my role in the team right now, it's it's not about me going out there and and putting up 20 shots a night, 15 shots a night, 10 shots a night. At the end of the day, like. You know, I have games like yesterday where I don't know how many, maybe seven shots I put up or six to seven shots. And then I have games where I put up one shot. You know, I think it's about controlling what I can control. And, you know, offense is going to come. You know, I think it's it's one of those things where, you know, it's, it's weird because, you know, I was always known for my offense and not so much my defense and defense being kind of a weakness for me. So. But I I see that as more of a positive for me because I know as far as offense comes, I'm going to get in a rhythm and, you know, it's going to start feeling, you know, easier and, you know, having more confidence on the the offensive end. So it's just more of a time thing.
0: Uh, You mentioned Matisse and we had him uh, on the show a couple of weeks ago. And and one of the things that he was describing, uh, and it it almost feels like kind of a similar role that you guys play within your team. and, And he said one of the big things he took from the Boomers was understanding... Uh, how to play that role and that's uh, how you can stay involved if a player isn't drawn up for you Uh, what did you learn from Matisse but then secondary we can get into the into the boomer stuff and and offensively Gorge and and all the veterans you played with
1: yeah I think Matisse is right with that Uh, you know I think I think just the whole boomer's culture you know knowing that it's not going to just take one person to win a championship or make it far and something. And just knowing that, you know, every single, there's, there's a reason why there's five positions in the game and, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether you're, you're shooting or you, you know, it, it's, it's really, the, there's so much to basketball that people really can't see um, and it all starts at practice. It starts pregames and, you know, you're uh, just, just everything. You know, if, if everyone was able to take a look into, you know, the boomers and the way we, carried ourselves like five hours before a game and everything like that you know it's just in a professional manner and I think it's, it's, it's cool to be it was really cool to be a part of it and you know and uh, I think it, it goes a long way for, for, for everyone.
0: So you obviously had some insight and you'd heard about it and people know about it and they talk about it but was it a shock for you or is there anything that stood out for you when you first come into that training camp or you're first with this team and you go to uh, go to Tokyo about that? About the, the culture, the preparation, and the way those guys hold themselves?
1: Man, I I love being around them, man. I, I uh, It's like some of the best memories I've ever had. We still keep in contact, all of us, to this day. Um, at first, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, but, yeah, they literally, like, we're brothers now, you know, and it's, it's one of those things that you just want to continue to be a part of and con- continue to, you know, be around. Um, you know, everybody's still supporting each other. Uh, you know, and we all play throughout different parts of the world. So overall, you know, it's sick, man. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's so hard to explain, you know, like everybody caring for each other. And it, it's, it's, it was, man, it was, it was crazy.
0: Uh, so coming into that training camp, I again, we spoke with Gorge and he did say, basically when they were coming down to picking the squad, it was kind of like, well, we're going to go with Josh, either Josh, did or yourself? Uh, and, Did you feel that competitiveness? Because, again, that is a super talented squad. There were super talented players that missed out on getting the chance to go there. So as you're trying to get your own goals, as you said, you're obviously friends with these guys. Did you sense that extra level of competitiveness among the group of trying to find their spots?
1: Uh, No, I mean, I think for anything, you know, whatever it is, I'm going to go out there and play my hardest. So regardless of if it's a practice or a scrimmage, you know, I knew that... uh, I knew I needed to bring something that the team didn't already have and you know, so just making sure that I was going out and working. Um, you know, being one of the youngest guys on the on the squad, you know, I know that it's it's one of those things in the boomers that, you know, you kinda of need to wait for your turn and, and 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 build up by that. But you know, I was able to learn so much from the older guys, you know, Joe, Patty, Daly, Bainzie, all these guys that um, you know, just throughout the training camp. But no, I never I mean obviously I'm big competitor i hate to lose so at the end of the day like i i know that at the end like we they had to make cuts but i wanted to make sure that it wasn't me um but i didn't sit there and individual like go through individual cuts seeing who i can be because at the end of the day coach is going to take the best 12 guys that they think can can win a medal
0: uh you already mentioned a number of you guys obviously through the league uh last week we obviously joe joe ingles went down uh Anytime you speak to anyone, whether it's people in Utah, people in Australia, anyone that's played with Joe, loves Joe. Uh, what was he like as a teammate? First of all, and and most people have some sort of Joe story of him just being, uh, him being a straight straight up good bloke. I don't know how else to describe it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, nah, Joe. So Joe was actually my roommate in uh, the Olympics. Me, Joe, Matisse, and Jacques. We were all roommates, and no, nah, he's a he's one of the best guys I've uh, been around. You know, I I think it's. It's cool being around him because he's able to he takes it very seriously sometimes, but he's also able to, you know, have a different dimension to him where he jokes around a lot and he just, you know, he plays around. So, you know, I I couldn't tell you my best, you yeah. know, Joe's story apart from maybe like practices, man. He would talk to anybody, he would talk trash to anybody. Um and he'll, yeah. So I mean, but that's the type of thing, you know, that really helped us out is you know, him talking in practice, trying to get onto players, because you know, at the end of the day, that brings out the competitor in everybody. So, um, you know, and I, I, he's doing it for a reason. You know, he doesn't do it just because he enjoy. it. Yeah, he obviously does enjoy talking um, <laughs> and getting people mad. But at the end of the day, he did it for a reason. And it was to, it was to you know, continue to motivate our team and make sure that we, we are competitive and ready to go.
0: Uh, who's the talker on the Dallas roster on court? Is there, a, is there
1: one uh, culprit
0: that likes to talk more than others?
1: I mean, uh, Luke is a big trash talker. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, man, this whole league is trash talkers, to be honest with you. Everybody loves to talk. But I don't know. I wouldn't say there's any, like, it just really just depends on the game, to be honest with you, man. But I, I really wouldn't. We have a good group of guys who, you know, don't, don't really do that. We just make sure that we get out there, we play and uh, get the win.
0: Is the bronze medal game off limits? You haven't brought that up once. Is that uh, uh,
1: nah, I bring it up a lot actually. I was, (laughs) I thought you were talking media wise. i was like, no, 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 uh, no, it's not off limits. I go there all the time. I got a surprise pretty soon for for Luca. Oh, we
0: can't, uh, we we can't obviously be let in on on this secret.
1: No, no, you it'll it'll happen pretty soon.
0: Okay, I like it. Uh, you guys are 31 and 23. So, right now, you're you're fifth in the West and you've spoke about the challenges you've had as every has, every team has, uh, along the way, where do you think you guys are at? And again, it's a new system, new coach uh, on top of all those challenges. Have you seen it so far?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think for, for a first, you know, this is a new decently new group of guys, you know, got a couple of new guys in a whole new coaching staff. So for us to get off to this, you know, to a great start like this, you know, I can only really see it, you know, going up and continuing. to support. Uh, continuing to, to progress and, uh, you know, our chemistry is continuing to build and I think we're in a very good position. You know, I think there's some games that I feel like we, we, we definitely should have got, you know, we lost a couple recently, which we feel like we, we, we kind of needed, which hurt, but um, you know, our last two games. We came out and we played against two great teams in the Eastern conference. And, you know, those are big wins for us. And it's just making sure that we go forward in, 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 in that type of, you know, in, in growth. So uh, yeah, I think it's just developing every game.
0: All right, a couple of quick ones to finish off. First of all, life in Dallas. Uh, we were speaking just before we started recording. You mentioned the weather over the last few days got a uncharacteristically cold in Dallas. Yeah. But uh, what's life in Dallas like now? You've been there for a while. What What do you like to do in your spare time? Food, all those types of things.
1: I, I love Dallas, man. It's a it's it's a laid back city. You know, I like it because it's not a it's not a big city like not a huge city like New York, but it's not a little city. So, you know, you have that perfect mix of everything. Uh, I'm a big coffee guy. So uh, I've gone to maybe every single coffee shop in Dallas. Um, there's actually an Australian coffee shop out here, um, which is being great. I go, there every, I go there every morning before I get to practice. Um, I started riding a bike. I sometimes started riding a bike on the trails out here, which is fun. Um, but man, I, I mean, there's there's a lot of good food. Uh, I, I don't know. I really couldn't tell you. Like Dallas, is a good place.
0: Uh, All Star Weekend coming up. Uh, you've been known to have some big dunks uh, in your past. Is the dunk contest ever something you've considered or would want to do in the future?
1: Uh, I don't know about. I don't know. <laughs> if if Luca goes in the dunk competition, I'll go in the dunk competition. We'll put it like that.
0: Okay, that, that, that may be a no. Uh, what about Boban? <laughs> I got to ask about Boban. So everyone yeah. has a Boban story. I remember one game. I was out there pre-game. I thought I walked into the, the basket stanchion and then I turned around and no, it was just Boban. He was lifting these little tiny dumbbells. I don't know what he was doing. It, it, looked, it looked ridiculous, but everyone loves him. Uh, you obviously get to be around him day to day. What is that experience like?
1: Man... See, I'm trying to think of like one story, but then everything just keeps popping up. Yeah. Boban, yeah. Um, there's there's a lot of good stories of Boban, uh, as Boban says, Boban is Boban. But <laughs> um, you know, he's just one of he's he's a great guy, very talkative guy, one of the nicest guys ever being around. But in saying that, you know, he he's a, he's a great teammate. He's he's also such a hard worker, which people don't. Are, are not able to see you know he's always in the gym man he, he's definitely one of the, the the hardest working players on the team man it's it's like you have to tell him to get out of the weight room you have to tell him to get out of the card and you know I think his love for basketball is is, is so cool and you know not, not many people are able to see that just because you know they all see like the you know him being funny and everything which he really is but he's also you know a, a very hard worker which is it's just cool to be around that and it's, it's cool to be around that environment and then you know, you see him joking around, jumping in the ice, in the, in the hot tub, whatever, like it's like, it's a, a diet. So, you know, it's, uh, he's always, he's always good to be around, man. He brings great energy every day. Um, and yeah. I, I really, I, I'm trying to think of his story. I'm like, dude, there's too many. There's, there's, there's way too many.
0: No, no, it's all good. Uh, we'll let you get back to it. I know you just finished your, your workout for the day, but we really appreciate it. I know it's tough during the season. Uh, to find time uh, to jump on a call like this. So we appreciate it. Everyone's enjoying watching you play. And uh, enjoy the
1: all-star break if you get to put your feet up a little. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, guys. I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, hope you have a great summer while we're in winter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Joining us now, the man that will have you covered for everything Eastern Conference over at ESPN.com.au and all-round good fella, Tim Bontemps. Tim, it has been a long time. How are you doing, man?
2: I'm, it's good to see you, Kane. I'm doing great, man. I'm looking forward to seeing you in person again sometime soon, but this will have to suffice for now.
0: Like a a lot of people, Tim, my passport expired over the last two years <laughs> because there was nowhere <laughs> that I could travel.
2: I got that's- I got mine I got mine redone too. I had the same problem.
0: So that's a task that I've got before the playoffs but we'll see. We'll see if we can get over there. Now we've been discussing this for a little bit. We've been wanting to get this podcast done. And uh it's perfect timing to do this after at yep. uh, the trade deadline, a few days after the trade deadline. You're in Boston right now, but you were in Philadelphia yesterday. Now,
2: you mean you want to talk about Ben Simmons? Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen,
0: I know it's going to shock you. We're going to get to Ben, but you were there for, for James Harden. Let's start with James. And yesterday was yep. the big press conference introduction day across the Eastern Conference. You were there for James Harden. You can find the story at espn.com.au. What did you? Take away from James Harden's first media appearance in Philadelphia.
2: I, I thought two things were interesting that he said, Kane. I thought the first thing was um, he talked a lot about how he felt comfortable with the situation in Philadelphia. And I think that speaks to the longstanding relationships he has in this situation, right? You got Daryl Morey, the guy who obviously very famously traded for him 10 years ago, brought him to Oklahoma or from Oklahoma city to Houston Really gave James Harden a platform to turn him into a star. It totally turned around Daryl Morey's career. Those two guys are tied at the hip in a way. Few players and executives, you know, rather than maybe like say, you know, I don't know, Magic and um, Jerry West, right? It's like that, or it's like that kind of a partnership. Obviously, not from a championship standpoint, but from just sort of a name recognition. Like when you think of one, you think of the other because of the success they've had. Because of the, uh, frankly, the ways their teams have failed in the playoffs. It's it's all been very out front that it's been sort of the Daryl and James show right in Houston. And now they're reunited again, something Daryl Morey's tried to do really since the moment he got to Philadelphia 18 months ago. Now it's happened. And now he has this partnership with Joel Embiid and you know, there's obviously been several failed superstar partnerships for James Harden in the past. We'll see if this one goes differently. Um, But it goes beyond Daryl Morey. You've got Tad Brown who a lot of people probably have no idea who he is, but he is the president of, of the business side of the Sixers. He was in that role the whole run that James Harden was in Houston. Those guys are close. When Doc Rivers got fired by the Clippers before he got traded away from Houston, James Harden called him and lobbied him to come coach the Houston Rockets before he went to Philadelphia a couple weeks before Daryl Morey did. So there's a lot of connections here. There's a lot of reasons for James Harden to feel comfortable. And the other thing he said that I think feeds into that level of comfort is when I asked him directly, did the Kyrie Irving Uncertain. Did the uncertainty around Kyrie Irving contribute to his decision to want to leave? He initially said very minimally, and then he went into saying that it obviously had an impact on the Nets. And I think when you look at what's happened in Brooklyn over the past couple months, when the Nets were in first place in the Eastern Conference on Christmas, they're now in the playing tournament. I know obviously Kevin Durant has been hurt, but Kyrie Irving got brought back to the Nets right before Christmas. It sort of set off this chain reaction of the whole season going sideways and sideways in Brooklyn. I think there's little doubt that that played at least some role in the way this whole thing shook out. And I thought it was pretty noteworthy when James Harden said, I wanted to make sure I was surrounded by guys who were willing to win and do whatever it took to win, right? Like say what you want about whatever, however you feel about vaccine mandates at the end of the day, Kyrie Irving is not playing in home games for the Brooklyn Nets because he won't get vaccinated, right? So I think when you put all that together, I think you could see how this situation got to the place that it's gotten to and how James Harden is now partnering with Joel Embiid in Philadelphia instead of with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn.
0: It was impossible for me, and I was listening to that and watching that as well from afar, and it was impossible for me not to connect those two. And you asked directly about Kyrie, but that's the way it came across. The thing that was interesting, though, when he did say I needed to be around people that want to win and then you go and read the report that Ramona had out and uh, Ramona Shelburne with ESPN.com and she uh, said or she reported that there was concerns from Brooklyn about James Harden from the day that he showed up to training camp, that he was perhaps not in the best shape. Uh, this has been something that's been a talking point for a long time, but Kevin Durant was in pristine shape. So then you think that it, it has to be a relationship thing rather than uh, purely just wanting to win or that's how he equates wanting to win because the the reporting, the reporting suggests that he didn't show up in the best shape either. And this is not the first time that we've seen this.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I I think in this kind of situation, right, And Ramona and Adrian's piece last week, uh, anybody who's interested in this story, if you haven't read it, go read it. It's one of the best best stories I've read in a long time. It's just full of insane details about this whole crazy saga that we've all been through. But um, look, at the end of the day, I think when you got down to it, this was a trade that made sense logically and rationally for everybody involved, right? James Harden obviously was not happy in Brooklyn. He had the ability to leave this summer. The Nets were not sure about his uh, comfortability there, whether he was really committed to them. And on the Philadelphia side, we're sure we're going to get to Ben. They had the Ben Simmons situation. They couldn't find a place, a suitable trade to move away from him and get back the stuff that they wanted to remain a championship contending team. If the Sixers had not made a trade This story was going to continue to hang over the team. And on top of that, the Sixers, frankly, just are not good enough without making this trade and without having Ben Simmons to be a real threat in the East. They probably would have lost in the first round of the playoffs, right? That would have been a really disappointing season given how dominant Joel Embiid has been. But this team just didn't have enough around him to really compete. Now, I'm skeptical about the long-term fit with James Harden and Joel Embiid and how good this team can be, but at least they have a chance. And they got as high level players they could realistically get for Ben Simmons and the Nets get a guy in Ben who I frankly think this trade could work out really well for Brooklyn. I like the pieces in terms of the theoretical fit. They obviously get a couple of picks. They get younger, they get cheaper in a lot of ways. It could be a real positive for them. So I thought from, for the last few days uh, before the deadline, I thought if logic and rationality won out, this would all make sense for everybody. But as we both know, when you get in these situations, logic and rationality don't always become the number one driving factors, right? Cause there's a lot of emotion involved. There's a lot of other stuff that gets into the mix, but ultimately when it got down to it, I think the nets in particular, because they had more to lose by trading James Harden since he was actually playing for them. I think, I think they just looked at themselves in the mirror and said, to your point, we have to move on from this. We're not sure how bought in this guy is. Let's just wipe our hands of it. Move forward with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Now Ben Simmons, add Seth Curry, and see where things go from there.
0: So as far as the Nets go, I guess the biggest mystery about this has been Ben Simmons, and would he show up immediately? When is he going to play? Uh, so I think it was a great sign to see him in Brooklyn, in front yep. of the media, smiling, and, and honestly yep. just looking happy. And I know there's a lot of skepticism about that, uh, but that has to be a good sign for Brooklyn. And, and, and honestly, it was just good to see Ben out there. It's been such a mystery, as I said, what, what's been going on, where he is, and when he was going to
2: return. Yeah, agreed. I was happy to see him smiling, right? Like somebody asked him about what do you think about doubters about your situation, seeing you happy at shoot around. He said, I, they should be happy that I look happy. Like, right. you know, <laughs> are they, are like, are what, you know, are, I, I, he didn't say it as a question. He said, they should be happy that I'm happy. And, and I am like, I've, I've always enjoyed my interactions with Ben and I think he's a really interesting guy. And I think he's a heck of a player. I mean, he obviously has his flaws, right? Everybody knows about the shooting issues, but I think that also masks the fact that this guy is a super talented player who is really interesting and fun to watch. And, you know, for me, the biggest uh, disappointment in the way this whole thing has played out is that there's been all this talk about guys not playing, right? It's dominated the season, whether it's Kyrie or lately James Harden or all season Ben Simmons. And it's just much, much better to be talking about what James Harden, and Joel Embiid are going to look like on the court. And Will Ben Simmons, you know, be willing to adjust his role to fit in with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, right? Like, that's – those conversations are way more interesting than is this guy going to play? Is that guy going to play? What's the latest situation here? Are we going to see him on the court, right? So, I'm with you. It was good to see him out there talking. It's been good to see him on the bench at games. It will be great to see him on the court, hopefully sometime in the next couple weeks, and then we can just look at, you know, what the fit in Brooklyn's going to be like and how this thing goes. Yeah, he
0: used the words – it's been piling up or that's how he described the, the yeah. mental side of this, which honestly makes a lot of sense. It's like the longest, the longer you let this roll on, the more pressure it felt that was on him. As far as Brooklyn in general, and I was reading some stuff this morning, Adam Silver was weighing in on the, the vaccine mandate uh, from the COVID situation in general. I mentioned this, you came on the jump about a month ago and that was right in the middle of the Omicron yep. stuff. And we were seeing that yep. the phone, phone was pinging every three seconds that this plays in the protocols. For obvious reasons, that has settled down. A big part of that is the fact that most of the league had already tested positive recently to yeah. the virus. But where is the NBA at in regards to that? And obviously, the Kyrie situation is unknown. But what's your sense around the NBA of how teams are handling this and how they're feeling about it?
2: I mean, you, you really hit it on the head, Kane. right? Omicron tore through the country here. Everybody was getting it, right? And now we're on the other side of it. Like, that's really the whole deal, yeah. like, The NBA changed those, like, I think I said it on the jump when I was on, like the NBA changed its rules to stay afloat when everybody was getting COVID. Right. But now like it's, I don't want to say, it's obviously still a real thing. I'm not trying to minimize, obviously there's people dying every day. I'm not trying to minimize it, but there's not, you know, this like six weeks ago, you couldn't turn around without running into somebody who had COVID. Now it's, hasn't receded into the background, but the testing numbers have dropped way down. It's gotten back to, or the, the positive numbers have dropped down. It's gotten back to where it was, say, at the start of the season, where there is an occasional person that goes in the, into the protocols. But for the most part, uh, these guys are fine. And I think, you know, like you said, the Kyrie situation, That that's a complicated thing to try to unwrap. There's a lot of political stuff at play there. There's a brand new mayor in New York City. Um, they'd have to determine to change the vaccine mandate. Um, there's been issues with city workers with that, right? There's all kinds of stuff that at play there that I I don't know how that's going to shake out. Um, but that being said, I think when you ask what is the NBA doing as a whole, virtually everybody in the NBA is vaccinated outside of a handful of players. And unless you play for the, Nets, the Knicks, the Wizards, the Warriors, or are playing a game in Toronto, it doesn't really matter if you're unvaccinated. And there's, you know, like Justin Holiday is still unvaccinated. There's a handful of guys that aren't, but, you know, it's a, it's a short list. So I think for the most part, the league is sort of moved into the next phase, which is, you know, if somebody gets COVID, we're going to isolate them and have them wait till they're ready to go. But otherwise, it's kind of full steam ahead, I think, at this point.
0: Well, once we do get through the All-Star Breaker on the road to the postseason, and I'm seeing the word bloodbath being thrown around a lot when it comes to the Eastern Conference. And I think I think it makes sense. I think that's the right word to describe what we're about to see here. You spoke about I Brooklyn. think it's You're... very
2: accurate. Yep.
0: I mean, it's, it's going to be insane. And we spoke about Brooklyn. We spoke about Philadelphia. And right now, if the season ended, you got through the playing tournament and these were the, the top eight seeds. You'd have Miami and Brooklyn in the first round. That would be an interesting matchup. I think I'd be interested in watching that. Chicago, yep. Toronto, Milwaukee, Boston, Cleveland, Philadelphia. I don't remember, certainly in, in my time, when everyone's spoken about the Eastern Conference the last couple of decades, uh, this is a, a different caliber of competition it's, we're it's, seeing.
2: Yeah, it's the best East has been since Michael Jordan and Patrick Ewing were in it. I mean, it's, right. that, it's been that long, right? I mean, you're literally talking 25 years since the Eastern Conference has been this good. I mean, it's, it's really by far the dominant conference now in my opinion. Now, some of the, you know, Phoenix obviously has a great record. They, they have the best record. They could, they might arguably be the best team this year, but there are teams in the West. There are going to be multiple teams maybe that make the playing tournament with losing records, right? The East has got 10 legitimately good teams fighting for these 10 play in tournament spots. And you know, the Knicks and wizards are 11th and 12th and they would be right in the play in mix in the West. Um, you know, because like teams like you like you didn't mention, the other two teams there, Atlanta and Charlotte. If I'm the Brooklyn Nets, if I'm sitting in ninth at the end of the regular season and I gotta play a winner take all first game of the playing tournament to win two to get in, and I gotta play a Charlotte team that could put up one forty five or an Atlanta Hawks team that could put up one forty five in a winner take all game <laughs> in Brooklyn without Kyrie Irving, like I think Kevin Durant probably scores forty five and they win the game, right? But you're one bad shooting game or one insane shooting game from one of those teams, which is more than capable of doing that from going home. Like it's, it's not going to be a cakewalk to even get out of the plane, let alone, like you said, I mean, Miami Brooklyn would have been a potential conference finals matchup before the season started and it could be a first round matchup now. So yeah, it's going to be crazy to see how this thing shakes out. I'm super excited. And I think all these different potential matchups there's really not one of them that you look at and go, oh, man, I don't want to see that one. Like, that they all have, all these teams have interesting stuff to watch. And I think will make for a really, really fun Eastern Conference playoffs.
0: I think Brooklyn, I think it's around 26, 27 games left. So, I mean, we're not talking about a lot of time for them to figure this out as they they work through the roster stuff as well. So we'll see, we'll see how that plays out. You did see Boston last night. Every year there is a team around this time of year that starts to become the popular pick for a team that's going to come in. They're going to upset uh, a bunch of contenders that have been around the top seedings for most of the year. Boston is the team this year. They're playing incredible basketball. Now, of course, it wasn't a full strength Philadelphia team last night, but I think anytime you win by 48 points against a good basketball team, it's worth taking note. What are you seeing from the Celtics?
2: I mean, the Celtics gain are a combination of a couple of things right now, right? Right. Up until the last couple of games, they played a lot of terrible teams and a lot of teams with a ton of guys out, and they took advantage of it. They beat the <laughs> yes. crap out of bad teams. But look, that's a sign of a good team, right? You go out and you take care of business against teams you should, you should beat. The Celtics lost a bunch of games earlier the season against teams they should have beat. They, they might be in the mix for the number one seed in the East if they had not lost, say, to Minnesota with their top seven guys out or blown a 20-point fourth-quarter lead to Chicago or blown a, another big lead, I think, to Cleveland or another team uh, in the first couple of weeks of the season. Um, you know, they they just they kicked away a lot of games early. So they're not doing that anymore. They made, I think, a really fascinating trade for Derek White from the Spurs. Guy who's been on Team USA, um, is exactly the kind of player this team needed. You know, I wrote a big story about the Celtics back in November, and the big thrust of it was the Celtics need to surround Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, two guys that are not natural playmakers – They're not LeBron James. They're not even a guy like Paul George. Um, You know, they're not necessarily going to set up other guys all the time. So you need to surround them with guys that don't need the ball in their hands, that are catch-and-shoot guys, that can play at both ends and make quick decisions. Catch the ball, either shoot it, pass it, move it, whatever, right? Don't hold it. Think about what you're going to do. Let the defense set, then do something. The Celtics had Dennis Schroeder. They had Josh Richardson. Both those guys, while they put up pretty good numbers this year for the Celtics, they're, they play the latter style. They hold the ball. They, they're kind of ponderous players. Derek White is the definition of a .5 second guy, right? He comes out of the Spurs system, all quick decisions, awesome defensive player, him and Marcus Smart, arguably the best defensive backcourt in the league now. Um, he is immediately slotted in to the closing lineup. He's coming off the bench. He's playing next to Marcus Smart. He gives the Celtics a five-man closing lineup that's probably the best defensive lineup in the league or up there. With those two guys, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Robert Williams, there's no weak links there. They're very athletic. They can fly around. They're all big. They can switch across the board. So their defense has been awesome. They are now playing seven and a half, basically, guys that are all really good and also fit exactly that style I was talking about in terms of knowing how to play, moving the ball quick, sort of forcing Tatum and Brown to play the style that Ime Odoka has wanted them to play all year. And the result is they're, frankly, just kicking the crap out of everybody. And, I, you know, I don't know what their ultimate ceiling is. I don't think they're as good as Milwaukee and Miami. Like, I think they're still the class of the East. But we, you mentioned I was at that game last night in Philly. If they play Philly in the first round, you know, Matisse Thibel, you know, a Boomer, obviously a really good defensive player, but he's not a guy you throw on somebody and he's going to stop him. right? He's more of a, like, fly around and make plays kind of defender and the Sixers have nobody to guard either of those guys like Tatum and Brown got whatever they wanted last night and James Harden as you know is not going to come back and change that so that I hope that series happens like not only are those long-standing rivals and there's all sorts of history there Al Horford signs a and comes back and he's had success against Embiid and you know Jason Tatum was in that trade the Markel Fultz trade ultimately where Markel went number one and like they're all this history with these two teams, despite it, on top of them playing against each other for 60 years in the playoffs. But the matchups in that series, I think could be fascinating. And for all the, the talk about Philly right now, if those teams play, I think I might pick Boston to win. So it, it would be fascinating to see them play. And I, I think you're right. The Celtics, the way they played the last few weeks, they've made a believer out of me. And I think they've got a chance to really be a tough, tough out in the playoffs. Cause as you know, Kane, when you get in the playoffs, right, you need to be able to guard people. You need to be able to score difficult baskets and isolations and in half-court situations, right? And Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, when they're on, can do that on just about anybody. So it's been crazy how much this has turned around, and it's going to be fun to see how it shakes out.
0: Yeah, part of it is just how close the standings are, as as you know, Tim. I mean, it, it, one week, and it can change pretty yeah. dramatically. You mentioned difficult shot making, and there is one guy that's going to be out there in the market, and you talk about rivalries, and Milwaukee and Miami have played a few times in the playoffs the last few seasons. Yep. Goran Dragic maybe they're two of the teams that are in the mix for him now it's 2022 Tim so you know how this works I just was scrolling through Twitter before we jumped on here someone is sending a screenshot around of Goran Dragic liking an NBA post of Jana scoring 50 points (laughs) this is the way you know this this is the way we work now if that is the way
2: to quote the Mandalorian this is the way
0: (laughs) if people are following someone they're unfollowing someone they like something these are the clues that people are looking for but do you view Goran Dragic at this point 35 going to be 36 soon as a guy that can come in and help right away I mean the funny thing about this is he left a Toronto team that actually is playing pretty good basketball and he could have had a decent role there maybe that's not how we saw that that playing out there in Toronto.
2: Yeah, I, that whole situation was kind of interesting. He had to go home and deal with some family stuff, and then I think it was sort of just agreed to he wasn't going to play for the Raptors for whatever reason, right? Um, I, if I had to guess, I would guess Goron does end up with the Bucs. Um, I think the Heat will have interest. As you mentioned, he obviously spent a lot of years there, helped get them to the finals a couple of years ago in the bubble. where He was phenomenal, and people forget he and Bam Adebayo both got hurt in the first quarter of Game 1 of the 2020 NBA Finals in the bubble. I was down there for that. If they don't get hurt, I think Miami could have won that series, right? So, Garner was phenomenal there. Now, he's obviously not going to play a huge role at this point, but I think, you know, you know the Bucks as well as anyone, Kane, with Dante DiVincenzo leaving, with Pat Connaughton getting hurt. Um, they have, you know, with George Hill being up and down, they have some minutes to play in the backcourt. And with the combination of the minutes available, the relationship there with, you know, Giannis and, uh, um, you know, being able to be a recruiter to go after Goran, you know, obviously those guys, you know, playing in Euro in Eurobasket and stuff, they've, they've had a lot of ways to cross paths over the years. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a mix that makes a lot of sense. Um, and unlike Miami where Goran would go and they already have more guys than they can play, including Victor Oladipo, who's, you know, down with the G league and has a chance to come back in a few weeks. And we'll see if he can make an impact in Miami after sitting out with a the tear all year. Um, I think there's a real role with Goron in Milwaukee, where he could walk in and play um, and have a chance to win a ring. So I've sort of thought the Bucks are the team that makes the most sense from the beginning. I thought it was a bit of a tell that they traded for a big, right? right. Trading Dante DiVincenzo for Serge Ibaka. You never know quite how these things are going to go, but that led me to believe the Bucks feel confident they could get a, a, a wing or a guard in the buyout market, and they couldn't get a big, so they went for the big in the trade. So my guess is if I had to pick one of these teams... You know, like, I know the Lakers have been mentioned. Maybe go on or go there and try to just get some minutes. I would think a guy in his position would want to go get some minutes on a team that might want a title, right, instead of just trying to get paid. So, my guess is I think he'll end up in Milwaukee. But either way, one thing I'll just caution your listeners about, um, everybody gets all wound up about the buyout market every year. This becomes a thing. You know, where are the buyout guys going to go? Generally, all these guys are, I don't want to say worthless, but they're very – very minimally they're very inconsequential basically mm-hmm. right every once in a while there'll be a guy or a couple of guys that play really well or there'll be a surprising guy that gets bought out that maybe has some juice left in the tank like a few years ago urson Ilyasova and marco bellinelli had a big impact with brett brown and ben simmons in the sixers right like there's the occasional moment like that that happens the vast majority of these guys are just kind of washed up and they go sort of sit on the end of the bench and provide some veteran mentorship and maybe play a little bit. Now, Goron is a guy who I do think has a little bit of juice left in the tank. He can help somebody, but a lot of times there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of angst about the buyout market and where these guys are going to go. And Oh, it's going to completely change things. I mean, remember last year, Andre Drummond goes to the Lakers. There was all sorts of crazy talk about how great that was going to be. And he was their third best center and he ended up getting benched in the playoffs. Right. So, that's kind of a good summation of I think the overrated nature in general of these buyout guys and the impact they end up actually having.
0: Well, Andre Drummond did change one thing. He, he changed the mood of, of Marcus. He was, he not certainly too, did. He was, not, he was <laughs> not too impressed about bringing in Andre Drummond. Hey, as we wrap this up, yep. let's plug, let's plug your latest MVP straw poll. So we're recording. This It's going to drop in a few hours uh, here. So we won't give away the results. We don't want to do that to you. But this MVP race uh, is also very interesting. And you reached out to me yesterday. I sent through my uh, top five. and uh, Yeah, give
2: people your ballot.
0: So I I had Jokic at the top, then Embiid, then Giannis, then CP3. And then my fifth player. Who was my fifth player? Steph Curry. I had Steph Curry at five. So obviously Bulls fans, probably not too happy with that. Maybe Memphis fans, not too happy with that as well. But the yep. point being, there is a lot of guys that are in the mix here for MVP. And I did have Giannis at number three. And then three hours later, he scored the easiest 50 I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. So we're looking at yep. a pretty crazy race here.
2: Yeah, and that, that's why I do the straw poll, As You know, I try to do it a couple of times a year to get a sense of the race. And I try to ask people from all around the world, including yourself, because that's what the NBA does, right? I try to mimic the NBA's balloting process as closely as possible. I talk to every, people from every NBA market, talk to people overseas, you know, and try to mimic it as close as I can to what the actual ballot's going to be. And you're right. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to give away the poll, but what I will say is it's a really close race. And those three guys at the top, you know, Jokic and Bede and Giannis, I think all of them have a legitimate chance to win it. And you mentioned the two guys that didn't make your list, DeMar DeRozan and John Morant. Those seven guys, those five guys plus Steph and, and uh, Chris Paul, those seven guys are pretty clearly the main candidates right now to be on the, in that top five discussion at the end of the season. But we saw last year, Jokicin and Bede went right down to the end. We see every year, it tends to be a couple of guys, obviously, you know, Giannis and James Harden went down to the wire multiple times. Harden and Russell Westbrook went down to the wire. Tends to be a couple of guys, at least that are really in the mix last year it was James Harden or uh, LeBron James and those two guys. So LeBron got hurt and then it was the other two. But yeah, I think, I think people will be very interested to see the poll. I, I, I was surprised by how it played out. I think, I think it will be um, an interesting read. And like I said, I think the biggest takeaway for me is this is going to be a really, really close race. And it, I think it's going to come down to, um, like you mentioned, how bunched the standings are. Because Chris Paul is not putting up huge stats, I think it's going to come down to which of these guys can really take their team on a big run in March and really kind of make that final narrative push to put themselves on top. Cause they're all putting up video game numbers. They've all, you know, overcome adversity this year. All those teams have had injuries, Denver, Philly, and Milwaukee. Um, obviously the Ben Simmons thing has hung over and bead team all year. So there's all that stuff going on, but um, I am fascinated to see how it shakes out. And I hope people enjoy the straw poll, which like you said, is going to be um, available on uh, Thursday morning, U S time. Uh, And we're going to talk about it on the Hoop Collective uh, with Brian Winhurst and Tim McMahon too. So check that out. And by the way, I think the last
0: time I did my votes, I had KD number one as well. So he's the eighth guy that had the knee injury and he's fallen out of the mix, but he might have been leading it earlier in the season.
2: Yes. Yeah. And Steph was way out in front and he, you know, obviously his month of January combined with the Warriors falling off and the sun's pulling ahead has kind of shifted that part of the race too. Right. So it's interesting to follow this along throughout the year, but we're set up for yet another, you know, really Titanic showdown over these final couple months between these big guys at the top of the ballot, and I think it's just a, it's a sign of just how good those three guys are. Like every night, they do something crazy. Like you know, last night, even though they got annihilated, and Bead made this move where he did a spin, a spin move in the lane and dunked over three guys like he like no one was there, right? Like and he was getting fouled. Uh, Scott, like I don't know how many free throws he shot last night. He felt like he shot thirty. Um, you though his team got killed. Like he was utterly dominant. Celtics could do nothing with him. Jokic is putting up, you know, 30, 15 and 10, it seems like every game. And like you said, I got a dozen texts last night for people about Giannis. I couldn't even watch the game because I was working and people were like, Oh my God, Giannis is just demolishing people, you know? So like it's, we're in a good place right now as a league. And, uh, all those guys are a treat to watch and it's going to be a really fun final couple of months here to see who, see who wins the MVP.
0: All right, Tim, you're the best. Uh, I always listen to Hoop Collective, by the way, and we were just talking about MVP. We might be uh, we're about to have uh, round two of the, the MVP Hoop Collective <laughs> battle on the podcast.
2: No, no battles. No, no more battles. That was a one-time deal. That uh, was a well, one-time we, deal.
0: Well, the great man, Windy, he's been doing some ridiculous work the last few weeks as well. He's been on fire. So uh, make sure you do check out Tim's work. Make sure you check out the Hoop Collective podcast as well. Uh, he's got you covered for everything in the Eastern Conference. Man, it's just been good to catch up. Thanks for the time.
2: It's really great, Kane. Like I said, I uh, it's good to see you, but it'll be a lot better to see you in person. So hopefully you can get your passport sorted out and get over here <laughs> soon, buddy.